well, between the first couple worship songs and that bumper and everything else going on, I'm pretty hyped up today. I'm sure you guys are too. Can we get a round of applause for our worship team this morning, Creative Arts team? Man, just absolutely crushing it. Uh, hello to those of you online too. I know quite a few of you are watching online due to some of the cold temps and ice and whatnot. But I want to start here this morning. How many of you guys would say that you are like a frugal, deal-finding, clearance rack type of shopper? Just show of hands, right? Okay, quite a few of us, you know, no, no shame if you're not. That's okay if you like to pay full price for things in life. There's just, I'm the person who's like, hey, I'm going to find a coupon. I'm going to go shopping to the clearance rack. I'm going to go to the clearance store and go onto the clearance rack there to hopefully find some stuff, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? One of the best places to find deals, though, are at garage sales because if you know what you're looking for and seeing, then some other people might be giving you something away virtually for free, not knowing. And I want to start here this morning. I want to give you three examples of some of the best garage deal, I don't know, finds, if you will, almost ever. If you're watching online, go ahead and comment. What's the best uh, best garage sale find you've ever had? Here's the first one. This looks like a normal bull, doesn't it? It's a little fancy, maybe uh, it's got uh, made out of China or something like that. This bowl was purchased for $3, and a few years later, someone thought, hmm, this looks a little older than I thought, and went and had it uh, appraised. It was identified as a piece of China from the Northern Song Dynasty, and it was eventually bought by a British art dealer for $2.2 million in the year 2014. That's pretty wicked find right there if you don't know. I would have just thought it was a bowl. I'm going to eat my cereal out of it, pass it on to someone else, throw it out. I don't really know. Here's the next one. Uh, this looks like kind of just your old antique mirror, if you will. The buyer had procured this mirror for $2 in the year 2008. Two weeks later, this buyer goes to an antique road show, brings the mirror with them and said, hey, I bought this for $2, not really sure what it's worth. It looks kind of old. What, what can you tell? Tell me about it. And they flip it over and said, see that it's stamped Tiffany & Co. New York. They find that it's from the year 1904 uh, and it was valued at $25,000. Now this next one, this one is one of my personal favorites. This guy buys a copy of the Declaration of Independence and two salt shakers for $2.48. Now I want to know how does that conversation happen? Yo, I'd like this copy of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, how about $2.50? It's a little steep. 248, throwing the salt shakers and you got a deal. He takes it home and realizes, man, this is some pretty finite detail for it to be a copy. If you are a history buff, you might be aware of what are called the William and Stone reproductions from the year 1820. They had 200 replicas of the Declaration of Independence made, and they only thought that 35 uh, existed until this man found number 36. He took it in, got it appraised, and it was promptly valued at $477,000. Pretty good for a pair of salt shakers and this thrown in, don't you think? Now, it's kind of easy to kind of step back and say, man, how does stuff like this happen? Hey, did you, do you not know what that's worth? Are you unaware of the value that you have in your garage or in your mom's old cabinet, whatever it may be? It's easy for us to say, man, if you only knew what you had at your fingertips, you wouldn't have sold it for two, three, five, ten dollars. We have a tendency to value or undervalue things we are maybe unaware of in life. And I think the same can be said of our faith at times. 
We own it, but we don't really understand or grasp the immense value of following Jesus. Or we have it, but we're kind of missing out on what it could do, and we just kind of let it collect dust, and it's dead and gone. And here's the question I want to start us all off this morning. It's this. It's what value do you place on your faith? What value do you place in your faith? I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We started last week kicking off this series called Greater Reward. We're walking through some of the theatic elements of the book of Philippians. It's a letter written by this guy by the name of Paul. Turn there with me. If you grabbed your sermon notes, sermon notes are back. So if you're a note taker, you can grab those where you pick up communion or you can follow along on the app as well with those sermon notes. We kind of set it up this way last week, though, that the book of Philippians could be summarized in this one way, is that there is greater reward in faithful obedience. That there's great reward in this life, not just the life to come, in faithful obedience to following after Jesus. Now the book of Philippians was written by this guy named Paul. He's actually in prison because he's preaching, starting churches, sharing his faith, and he's saying that, that I know you church in Philippi, you're feeling this pull, don't you? There's something in your head, something in your heart, kind of drifting you away from the cornerstone truths of following after Jesus Christ. Let's have a quick chat for a second, can we? Before we dive in. I'm going to say this. It's not wrong to value your job. It's not a wrong thing. It's not wrong to value your hobbies or your family, your significant others. I'm just going to say that. It's not wrong. But I think one of the most subtle tricks that Satan plays with us in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls is to take Christ, which should be the preeminent, most center value of our lives, that everything should revolve and reflect and just slowly move it down the list. Perhaps you feel that tension sometimes. I love Jesus, but I think I love my job a little bit more. I love Jesus, but my family and their schedule and everything definitely takes priority. I love Jesus, and I think that's what Satan wants us to do. He realizes that perhaps he can't get you to stop believing in Jesus, but he can certainly try to get you to value him less and less and less. And as time goes on, what a lot of us know and, and hope to believe is the most cornerstone value for us just slowly makes its way down the list. So much so that, that, that Jesus even talks about the value of the kingdom of heaven. He says this in Matthew chapter, I know I said turn to book of Philippi or book of Philippians. I'm just, this is a real quick pit stop here. We'll be right back there. But Jesus even gives this parable. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then he sold uh, with all joy sold and he bought that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, if you're a financial person sitting in your room, in the room today, you're like, yo, that's not good portfolio uh, uh, spreading out, whatever the term is, right? Like this guy is kind of off his rocker. You don't take everything your own and you put it into one spot. That's not what you do. Those of us hearing like that, that seems a little irrational, that definitely seems certainly most plausibly irresponsible. And Jesus says that is the value of the kingdom of heaven. That is the value of committing to me. And the apostle Paul is going to say, let me show you how that value has played itself out in my life as a follower of Jesus. Philippians chapter 1. I told you we are going to get there. Verse 12. He says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the entire, the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So again, this what has happened was, was Paul is in prison. He was starting churches, preaches the gospel, and the people are like, yeah, yeah, we don't like this. We don't like the fact that you're calling people to be submitted to, to obedient, to follow this Jesus cat and not our emperor. Not our laws, not our rules, not our way of life. And you notice the result, Paul says. He says, I am in prison, I am in chains, but the whole palace guard now has heard and they're starting to believe. Those who are hearing about my story and where I'm at, that has given them confidence in the flesh because of my hardship, because of my trial, because I have remained committed, other people are doing the same. You see, Paul, he's not shrinking back. He's not huffing and puffing. Oh, what was me? I'm in prison again. I'm in, I've been shipwrecked again because of my faith. His commitment to Christ has won people despite the hardship and trials and has encouraged others to do the same. So let me encourage all of us with that same truth this morning, is that your commitment to Christ will encourage others to do the same. If you remain steadfast, obedient, faithful to Jesus, people in your life will notice. They will pay attention. What's notice about him? Why doesn't she get frazzled there? How come they seem to do things a little bit different than we do? There is a promise and a blessing that will be waiting for us all Now, it might be a delayed blessing off in the future. Now, if I could just readjust, though, for a moment, I desperately wish and hope that was the norm for each and every Christian everywhere for all time, that we have this undeniable commitment to Christ. How many of you guys have seen the movie WALL-E? Show of hands. You guys seen the the Pixar movie WALL-E? Fantastic Pixar movie WALL-E. Thumbs up in the chat if you've seen WALL-E as well too. Here's a picture that's early on in the movie WALL-E. And the movie WALL-E is pretty simple. It's that all humanity has kind of just become sluggards. Right, right, they all just, they've, they've become super, super overweight and they drink this nom, 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 slushy thing and they're always on screens. They don't do anything. They don't even get out of their chairs. And now you have this cute little robot who's tasked with saving all of society because humanity has bought into this belief that as long as I am comfortable, as long as I don't have to lift a finger, as long as I don't have to think or really do anything, that's what life is really about. They're just become sedated human beings, if you will. I think sometimes the same is with our faith. Eric, isn't the goal of my faith to make me comfortable? Isn't it your job to spoon feed me in my faith? Isn't the goal of my faith to not be overly disturbed about my decision making? Everything should be given to me at my fingertips. Can't someone else do the work, do the serving, do the preaching, do the giving, the church planting? And Paul is saying my life is the exact opposite. So we don't ask ourselves, how comfortable have you become in your faith? We ask ourselves, how committed and steadfast have we remained to following Jesus? Because if we're all honest, there's a pull within us all to have us drift towards this complacency rather than commitment. Paul says, let me give you an example here of those who have become complacent in this. 
picking up in verse 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do it out of goodwill. But the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Paul's saying, here's a quick aside, but let me give you a quick example. Some people have felt this pull away from following Jesus, doing the Lord's work out of their own selfish ambition. That their commitment to themselves overtook their commitment to Christ in arguably the worst way possible. That they meant preaching, running a church, and everything that came with ministry was all about them. About what they got out of it in return. It's to say complacency impacts us all. Well, not me. I'm a pastor, but all you, and I'm just kidding. All of us, complacency becomes real. Let me give you an example here. A um, couple, uh, I guess, see, what's today? Today is the 9th, so eight days ago was January 1st. Did you know that? Math, sometimes hard for me. And it's all right, so it's a new year, and so I get up, I get up in the morning, I took, you know, uh, my morning routine was a little bit off, my family was in town, so I got up and I sit down on my couch and, and I got my Bible out, and I sat down, I said, all right, new year, time to start digging into the Word of God again, and I kid you not, this is what I did. Sometimes I opened to the book of Genesis, because it's the first book of the Bible, so I opened to Genesis, and I said, all right, Genesis chapter one, I like to start there, it's the beginning, beginning of the year, it makes sense, and I just stared. I was like, man, I've read Genesis a bunch. I don't know, I'll go to the book of Luke instead. <laughs> you know, Luke's all about Jesus, and I'm, we're all about Jesus. So let's go. So, so, I, so I flip over to the book of Luke, and I look up well, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and I just stared. Yeah, but I mean, I've preached a lot about the, I know every, like, I know what's coming. Nothing's going to surprise me at this point. All right, we'll go to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1 is all about the power of the word of God. And I just stared at Psalm chapter 1. All right, well, a proverb a day keeps the devil away, so let's just do it. It's the first of the year. We'll go to Proverbs chapter 1, open Proverbs chapter 1. And I kid you, I just stared at my Bible for 20 minutes. This is me just being honest. After 20 minutes, I closed it and went around with my day. First day of the year. Shouldn't the pastor be like, yo, well, I mean, just super in-depth Bible study. I just opened and I stared, and I was like, I don't know. I've read that before. I've preached that before, heard that before, read Bible studies on that before. I don't really know what to say that to say is complacency affects us all. And what complacency does is complacency sedates our faith. It sedates our faith. It's kind of like anesthesia, right? When you're getting surgery or you're getting a tooth punched out, well, sometimes they just numb you up. Or if you're a real man, they just don't, you know, it's like, hey, do you want it the manly way or whatever? I don't know. My wife did that, so she's a champ. What anesthesia does is they don't really kill you, I hope. They just kind of like knock you out. You're not, you're, you're asleep, but you're also awake and there's like a nurse there to make sure. But isn't it like super specific? Like if they give you too much, it could, you know, there's like all these rules, all this scientific stuff. So you're not just asleep, but it's also so that like you, you, you keep on living, but you don't feel pain. I don't know if it's like literally if it's like sleep, anesthesia, coma, and that's like where it slides in that fine line. I don't really know how science works, okay? I just know it's real. It's awesome. It's incredible. And that's kind of what complacency does to our faith. It puts our faith under anesthesia. It's there, but it's asleep. It hasn't left yet. It's still breathing technically, but it's not really doing anything. And I think that's what Satan wants from us. He says, I don't want to get rid of your faith. What's far greater is for you to become complacent. It's far more important for me to get you to become a complacent Christian. 
because the complacent faith has no value to you or to anyone else. Because I think what happens is when our faith is asleep, we begin to look for meaning and purpose and value other parts of life. Those things that are higher up the value chart, we just say, I'm going to turn to that one more time. I'm going to give this one more shot. And when those things don't quite work out the way that we thought or, or hoped, or maybe they ran a little dry or they weren't as potent as they once were, I think when we have a complacent faith, what we can say, okay, well, well, the sex doesn't work anymore. I've made more money now than I used to, and I'm still a little discontent. We've upgraded the house or whatever it is, and I still have this, this void. But we have complacent faith, and we look and turn inwardly and say, but, but you know, I've had faith this whole time, so clearly that's not the answer either. So I'm just going to keep looking and searching till what I find what it is. And I think what Paul is, he's sounding the alarm. Jesus is sounding the alarm. The conviction is sounding the alarm of the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The answer isn't to get rid of your faith, it's to wake it up. The answer isn't to say faith is worthless, let me get rid of it. The answer to say is wake your faith up. Don't be complacent anymore in what you've done. Don't give it up. There's reason to. There's justification in your own mind to. But don't do it. Paul continues then picking up in verse 17. He says, supposing that they can stir trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will live, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as to always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound in account of me. I want to ask a simple question. Why didn't Paul become complacent? So many times he could have called it quits. I don't want to go to prison again. I don't want to get shipwrecked again. I don't want to get beaten within an inch of my life again. I've gone on two missionary journeys. Do I really need to do a third? I've shared the gospel with enough people. Someone else's turn. I'm going on break. And most people wouldn't have blamed him. The first church uh, that I ever worked at, I was fresh out of college. 
this little tiny church in the suburb of Knoxville. My wife was still finishing school. And uh, the first day, I kid you not, first Sunday I was there, they announced me to the congregation. And afterwards, this older lady walked up to me and handed me a binder of this project in ministry that she had been running for the last seven years. And she handed it to me and she said, hey, I've done this for the last seven years. It's your turn now. I just get to show up and consume. I think some of us, that is our approach to church. I've done my time. It's someone else's turn. Someone else will foot that bill. Someone else will fill that role. Someone else will stand up and take charge. Yet Paul says, I'm torn. Now he's not torn between his heart and the world's. He's not torn between obedience and fluffy living. He's torn between being with Christ and serving Christ. Let me just talk to this side of the room for a second. You guys can listen if you want. Let me just talk to you guys for a second. You ever feel that torn in trying to follow Jesus? I have. Don't listen. I feel that tension often in my life and in my faith. But it's not between obedience and service. When I'm torn, what I feel it is the humility of Christ or my own pride. When I feel torn, I feel God's purposes, my plans. When I feel torn, I feel, well, God, this is what you have asked of me, but this is really how I would like to live. You ever felt that way before? Paul says, I'm torn. Not between mailing it in, not between calling it quits on being a disciple. I feel torn between being obedient and just being with Jesus. One is better, the other is necessary, he says. As disciples, we never retire from following Jesus. And I think Paul gives us this small glimpse that commitment to Christ is a series of small choices over and over and over. It's not how you start your faith, it's how you finish the race, as the author of Hebrews says. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, later, foreshadowing, I pursue the prize. And Paul is encouraging others by saying, may you remain committed whether in chains or not, whether life has brought smooth seas or a storm of life, whether everything is lining up or falling off the tracks, commitment to Christ is worth it. Great is the reward for commitment over complacency. Think about, think about Paul. Right? This is a crazy story. Right? Just like, all right, Paul, we want you to stop, so we're going to kill you. And he says, all right, to die is, to die is gain. Okay, okay, oh, okay, oh, shoot. We're going to throw you in prison then, all right? It's better for me to live. Okay, but, but, but we're going to get you to, to we're going to really like whip you. 39 times, 40 times, we're going to do this a few times over. Well, I don't consider the present sufferings worth compassing uh, value of knowing my Lord and say, like they couldn't pin him down. We're going to kill you? Good luck. I take that as gain. We're going to make your life miserable? Cool. It's going to advance the gospel. Your choice. Either way, lose, lose for you. Win, win for me. It's commitment to Christ. Commitment means we are citizens of the kingdom of God, living here and now, knowing what waits for us. If we live a complacent faith, it says, I live here and now and hope that the kingdom awaits for me when all is said and done. And my goal for you as your pastor, and I know for a fact the, the prayers of your elders and your staff, is for each and every one of us to be so keenly committed to Christ 
that we fulfill that mission to help each other follow Jesus. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. We're committed to him. We know his word. We love God. We love others. We serve both. We reorient our life around him. Well, Eric, that's weird. Yeah, it is. People might make fun of me. They might. People might kind of distance themselves if I'm too committed to Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Well, people might look at me and say, well, you really give up time and sleep to go to church and to read your Bible? That's a little odd. Well, you mean you you try to meet on a weekly or regular basis with smaller groups of people to what? Share your life and tell stories and encourage one another? You give away portions of your hard-earned income? You believe that sex is for for marriage between man and wife? You believe in in an everlasting commitment of spouse? You refuse to gossip and to slander? You're telling me that when someone hurts you, you forgive them? Yeah. Why? To live as Christ. To die as gain. Because great is the reward, and we need to believe this, commitment over complacency. Paul later says, I believe is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you want to know Paul's commitment and where it comes from, this one simple verse in which he says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, commitment is worth it because it's no longer a life that I choose or I live, that Jesus has done it for me. I have received this new life by faith, by grace, in Jesus and Jesus alone, and now I'm going to live like it. I'm going to live and believe that that truth is real. If Paul were standing on this stage today, I think his, his, his words would be simple. He says, as a disciple, you can't be a non-contributing zero. You can't be a a non-contributing person in a local church. Let me break it down this way. I've had uh, a lot of friends who who are pastors. My brother-in-law's a pastor at a church in Seattle, and we've been talking over the last couple years. And let me share some crazy stats with you. Is that, you know, COVID season kind of threw a lot into the wind, and on average, most churches are seeing 40 to 50% of people return in their buildings. At best, if you're seeing 60%, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. As a result, also, there was this surge online, but even right now, online viewing and attendanceship and whatever is also dwindling down. Let me say this. Both of those are true of our church. Let me encourage you with this, of why I believe and I have found great joy in the life of first. In the midst of all of this, you would think, okay, well, if about 50% of people have left, about 50% of our volunteers have probably called it quits. On the contrary, about 25, 30%, which is still a good amount of people. If you aren't volunteer, we'd love to get you plugged in, find your gifts and use them. But only about half of the people who have left, uh, that, that number actually volunteers who we no longer see serving right now. 
Last year, we started off this vision in 2021 to see 5,000 next steps of discipleship. And I don't want to spoil it for next week, but I'm going to because I'm just hyped up right now that we stayed exactly on track in the midst of a COVID season. Nobody knows what they're doing. All these trends, all this stuff going on. And there was still on track that vision to see 5,000 next steps of discipleship. It's incredible. Yeah. Here's this. Our giving as a church absolutely the same as it was the year before. That is mind-blowing. But my favorite statistic, in a year in which we saw people supposedly pull back and churches close left and right more than any other, our outward compassion initiatives towards Wiley, foster care families, Night to Shine, and everything else didn't stay the same, and it didn't go down. It went up. We had more money, more opportunity, more people served than ever before in a year in which everyone else is shrinking back. In a year where no one would have blamed you for becoming complacent in your faith. If you are here this morning, it shows you have a commitment to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you to our church. Thank you to you who have continued to give, who have continued to serve, who have continued to say that I believe the best is yet to come. And what is to come is eternal life waiting for me. But here and now, it is better to be departing and going with Christ. However, it is necessary to do that work, to serve him here and now. Now, we all have complacency areas in our own life, and our own faith. I've got them. You've probably got them too. What is that next step? to say, I am going to fend off complacency like never before this year. One of the best steps that we talk about is, is baptism. I believe in Jesus and I want to publicly declare, maybe that's you. Maybe this year marks the year that you are finding Jesus, putting your hope in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, your salvation in Jesus, and you're going completely public saying, I belong to Christ and I know that people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to think I'm different, but I'm cool with that. Maybe it's to serve for the first time or to re-engage in that serving opportunity. Maybe it's to give, give more, give differently. Maybe it's to join a group. But one of the things that we have for you all is one of our values here at First is growing faith. And the way we talk about this is we say we want to be a church that is biblically dependent and prayerfully saturated. Nope, flip those around. Biblically saturated, prayerfully dependent. And so what we're going to start doing this year for every series, or if it's a long series, we might do it multiple times throughout a series, we're going to have these growing faith scripture memory cards. Because I and we, and as elders and staff and a team, we want you to center yourself around the truth of scripture. And what we do each and every time we have one of these cards is to say we're picking out just one verse, maybe two verses. This one's two verses technically. Grab one of these on your way out and put it on the dash of your car. Tape it to your your work computer. Tape it to the mirror when you go home so you see it every morning and night. And memorize just this short passage over the next couple weeks. And then when we start a new series, we'll have a different one. And then a new series, a different one. And by the end of the year, you will have probably memorized uh, 10 to 12 different passages of Scripture. That's not a lot. I'm going to venture to guess it's 10 more than you had before. And then you do it the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year, so that when complacency begins to creep in in your life, you get to say, ah, but I have the truths of God stored up in here. 
I can recite it here. When I'm faced with a moment to encourage someone, I've got scripture to do it. When I'm in that situation to share why I have trust and faith and commitment to Jesus, I have the words from his mouth, not my own, to give to them. So as we stand to worship, I invite you to stand with me. I want to read this verse as we continue to shout praises to God of how he has raised us from death to life. And it's from our text this morning. You can grab one on the way out. Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. We're going to commit to memorizing this verse when he says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Would you worship with me, the Lord and Savior of our lives this morning?